Stacy and I'm Norma and we're Black Girls with Accents. Welcome back guys. Hello everyone. So today we are delighted to introduce you to Costina, a remarkable woman like all of our women guests have been thus far. I'm going to say on a personal note, uh, some affiliation. She's a proud grad of HU. HU, <laughs> you know. Come on, Christina. You know. Bison. <laughs> so, Christina has a, a very interesting story. She left the US years ago and moved to Costa Rica in the area of Brazilito with her family. Upper moved. A uh, very successful career in finance, specifically IT. Left all of that behind for a new life. One that is, I think, grounded in peace and and um, abundant living and uh, uh, an improved quality of life. She is the owner of the Authentic Flow Yoga Studio, where she passes on her wisdom and her guidance through the body to a willing, I'm, I'm certain, a loyal group of uh, individuals who visit her studio on a regular basis. But we're here to talk to Christina today about her experiences. Um, certainly, it must have been quite the transition yeah. to leave the United States and family and the conveniences of being in the US and all that comes with that. But venturing out for a new opportunity, being open to change the unknown and, um, you know, reconciling with that and finding peace with that and happiness. Uh, you audience members cannot see Constina, but she is just radiating, glowing. glowing. So <laughs> Costa Rica agrees with her, clearly. Yes. Welcome, Constina. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Hello, Tracy. Hello, Norma. Love you, ladies. Yes. How are you feeling today? You look great to us. It's awesome to have you here. Um, and like, uh, yeah, like Tracy said yeah. in the introduction, like I'm just like ready to hear from you. Like, so I'll start with the first one. I guess what made you move? What made you say, you know what? This is it. Let's go try overseas. And why Costa Rica yeah. rather than yeah. anywhere else in the world? Well, I'll start off with a short answer, which is um, this was a pandemic move. Hmm. The pandemic actually uh, really catapulted us to decide to just really do it. Mm -hmm. um, as like most people who either got a puppy <laughs> or they got, you know, they, they switched up or decided to move to across the country or something like that. We, we decided to, uh, do something that we've always been thinking about doing. Mm. Um, our short answer, or I should say that was a short answer. The long answer is that my husband and I have been talking about this since we got together, which was in like 97, 2001. We started dating in 2001 actually. And, um, he approached me about, hey, how about we move to, you know, Central or South America? And at the time, he was thinking about Brazil, and I was like, mm, no, like, 
you know how you have a, 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 a strong desire to establish your career? This is in my late 20s, early 30s. Right, right. Myself. I, I, I don't even know who I am, let alone go to another country and try to establish who I am there. Um, so I, I really felt like I wanted to stay. So we, he's been chipping at me for the last, I don't know, almost 20 years to <laughs> wow. get up and go. And it was the pandemic that decided us because, and as many people who are listening and as you know, um, the, you know, coronavirus is extremely, extremely, um, has impacted everyone in many different ways. Whether you, it's political, whether it's social, whether it's family related, it has impacted everyone. Um, for us, when we realized that our daughter, who was going to a private school at the time in Brooklyn, um, was going to be doing virtual schooling, I was like, why are we paying for this? That was one. Number two, I was just like, well, if everything's going to be virtual um, and you really can't leave our house, why not just go someplace else? Right. We've been thinking about this for a while, so let's do that. And um, I would say we got serious about it in May of 2020. We really started moving things and putting things into schedule probably in September. Um, so we decided to pull our daughter out of uh, traditional schooling and decided to homeschool her via an online program. Mm-hmm. And uh, that gave us the freedom to be able to go anywhere we wanted to. If we would have stayed in a traditional school, whether it's private, public, Catholic, whatever you want to call it, we would have been beholden to a brick and mortar school of some sort. So we took the schooling online and we said, let's choose a place. And I'll stop right there because that's like a whole other chapter to say how we chose Costa Rica. <laughs> so, so you've been there then, you've been in Costa Rica at this point then for just over a year, right? Just about a year? It will be, uh, well, technically, we stopped in Panama first. Mm, okay. Mm. So can you talk about that? There was a... Can you talk about that? So can you talk about that a little bit then? So so first it was Panama, mm-hmm, which makes mm-hmm. sense right next door. Exactly. So um, when we decided to relocate, um, the idea was let's choose a place that we either haven't been to before or we've been to before, but we would like to stay. Mm. And we originally looked at Costa Rica because we got married in Costa Rica. Oh. So we got married in Costa Rica in 2008 and um, the destination wedding, it was fabulous. I'm glad we did it that way. And um, at the time, that was our first time actually coming to Costa Rica in 2008. Since then, we've been visiting on a regular basis. I would say every other year or so, we've been yeah. coming down here. Um, different locations just to test it out and just to feel it out. Um, but when we decided to relocate, we were like, we've been to Costa Rica. Like, let's try someplace else. And for me personally, I said to him, um, I'm in a mixed race relationship. I'm actually married to an Irish American guy. And um, I told him, I was like, with all the things that are going on in the United States, uh, racially and uh, just politically, I felt unsettled. And I felt like I needed to be around other people of color. I needed to be in a country that mm. was predominantly 
of color mm. and um, particularly brown. Mm. Um, so I looked at, we looked at Kenya, we looked at South, uh, South Africa mm. and I was like, South Africa has its own thing. And it was mm. like, that's like moving to the States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking about the West coast of Africa, but there was this, it seemed too far for us because we have older parents. Okay. And I said, if we were to relocate there and not know anybody there, and then on top of it, if anything goes wrong or happens here in the States, it would be really hard for us to get back home. Right. Yeah. So we narrowed down and said, Panama is the closest because it's Central America, maybe five hours away from New York City. And we ended up down there. So we moved January 27th is when we got on the flight. Whoa. With our three bags, <laughs> one surfboard. And that was all we had for our life. And we ended up in Panama for going on, I think it was five and a half months. Wow. We decided to leave. Um, should I go on? I don't know. Well, There's so much more to say. I have a question. I mean, I'm fascinated. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a bunch of things that you said. One is thinking about, in thinking about your move, it wasn't just about, okay, we need to get the heck up out of here and find a different place for our family, for our daughter, for ourselves, uh, a place mm-hmm. to put down roots, right? Being very intentional about this move. So that's one thing. And thinking about the racial dynamics of, of, of that of that nation, of that new the new your new homestead. But also mm-hmm. what you just said in terms of what you brought with you. So thinking about baggage, right? And and the past. And that you were so for someone who accumulates a lot of things and I'm working on I'm working on the decluttering aspect of my life um but there is something that's metaphorical about a new beginning and you said you just took your three bags and your surfboard so you took what was most important to you your family and your most treasured belongings and you left all the other baggage behind whether that's Clothing, jewelry, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, couches, <laughs> linens. You left all that behind, and I think it, and 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 starting afresh for you guys, which we can see on your very in your very being as you radiate on the mm-hmm. screen, seems to have also allowed you to just focus on what's essential. Most people were doing that during the pandemic anyway. But having to move really means hard choices yeah. about what you're going yeah. to be, what you're willing to leave behind and what you take with you. And for me, yeah. I was uh, listening to you saying <clears throat> about the peace part of it, like knowing that it was in, um, part of the step that brown faces, predominantly brown faces, mm-hmm. and absolutely just on the top of my head and a little bit assuming, but that we know it has not going to have the same racial tension that we're having in the U.S., Knowing that that was part mm-hmm. of your decision compared to, I need more space and I'm going to buy a house up in Beacon that has a yard, you know, like that is just a, so much more conscious to me than just, yeah, just looking for your own yeah. um, air in a way. Yeah. So to go back to Tracy, what you mentioned about baggage, um, I, I will have to, I did, I didn't think of it that way, but (laughs) I moved to New York in the mid nineties. Yeah. And so I've had accumulated a lot of stuff (laughs) 
over close to 20 years. And when I say stuff, I mean, I went to the yard sales and picked up some really classic furniture, like heavy furniture and things that I wouldn't want to let go. And I'm thinking that they're heirlooms for like my, you know, just, yeah. just uh, for my child as he gets older. Um, I had the junk drawers. I had like 20 junk drawers of, of stuff, you right. know, and you're right. It's, it took a lot of mental gymnastics mm. to realize what I needed to bring, what our family needed to bring in order to feel secure. I mean, when I say we started in September, it was decluttering and probably July. And this was led by my my husband. When I say he's been trying to chip away at this, mm. he's been planning this for a year. Mm. No. So in his mind, we had, um, we lived in a brownstone, right? And we had a cellar full of stuff on top of two floors, a duplex of stuff. And then asking us to, in 20 years collectively, of, I don't know, I'm, I'm showing my age and I really don't care what my people know about it, but I'm 49 now, right? That's okay. No, no, no. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with my age. I am 49 years old and that means I have a lot of baggage yes years young physically, physically metaphorically there's just a lot of things right mm -hmm. um so addressing the physical aspect that was hard because i had a lot of mental aspects associated with it picking up every item and looking at it and saying oh i remember when or this is so special to me and why it's so special to me um, I felt like it was an episode of like quarters, you know, when it was yep. there, come through and I had to go through with you. And yeah. say, and, but it was good. It was good. It was good to go through that because um, I literally had to ask the question and I forgot the name of the, um, the young lady who does this uh, like organizing, uh, Maria Kondo or yeah. Marie Kondo. Yeah. 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 She, you know, I asked the question all the time, is this bringing me joy? And can I use it wherever I go? Mm -hmm. And I will have to say, most things I was just like, yes, they bring me joy, but I wouldn't be able to use it wherever I go. Mm. Yeah. That's a word. And um, that was... Yeah. <laughs> That's a word. All right. Yeah. So you brought your suitcases and your family. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're in you're in Panama and you're mm -hmm. you're living a new life, you're settling in, you're acclimating. And then what then leads you to say, Okay, no, we're gonna we're gonna hop over to Costa Rica. So Panama was great and um so going back to your, your question, Norma, about intention. Mm -hmm. So not only was it that I wanted to be um in a country that identifies as brown or predominantly brown. Um, I also wanted, we wanted as a family to be able to go outside yeah. and experience three things. One was my husband is into surfing, I'm into yoga, and our daughter is uh, basketball slash skateboarding, that kind of thing. So we looked for those three things. And that's when we came across Panama and said, okay, it's not just, you know, the, um, the people, um, but it's also those other three core things that meant so much to us. So we may not be bringing a lot of physical things with us, 
but we were gaining a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So space was one. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to just be outside and enjoy ourselves and immerse ourselves in the things that we find to bring us joy yeah. that we wouldn't normally get when we were in New York year-round. Right. So that's why we chose Panama. The thing, the thing that um, caused us to say, mm, may not want to, our daughter was not happy. Aww. So taking in, she got so depressed. And I think a lot of kids during the pandemic got so like in their emotions and for a good reason, you know, mm -hmm. you're isolated. You know, I, yes, Zoom is great. Um, I'm very grateful for all of the people who have been at these tools of technology that allow us to see each other when we're so far away as yeah. if we're right next door to each other, right? Um, but our daughter was, if you think about it, she was nine at the time mm -hmm. and she left her two besties with who were within her bubble. Yeah. So she had sleepovers. Um, so she may not have been going to school physically with them, but she was able to actually have experiences with them right. and that she left. And we went to a town. I wouldn't even call it a town. That's given it too much credit. Um, uh, <laughs> <Village>. <laughs> but I, all I can say, it, it was, there was no street. It was all dirt roads. Oh, dirt. Um, it was, it was a beach community. Okay. Mm -hmm. The number of people probably are about three to 400 people total oh, that live there. Okay. There, the cows and the cows outnumbered the people. Hey. And there was no supermarket. There was a mini mark. Hey. There was no hospital. There was no police station. It was just uh, maybe two. The place that we stayed at was a gated community, which doesn't say much. It was just basically a, a cluster of homes that people put together. Mm -hmm. And there was maybe two other hotels. And everybody else built homes on the side of the mountain. So uh, all I can say is that our daughter was the only child within her age range yeah. that was there. And when we chose that place, we thought they had schools, but they closed because of the pandemic. Uh. And a lot of the families that were there her age decided to go back to their home country or go back to um, areas within Panama that they were originally from. Uh, see. So it wasn't sustainable. So we decided to leave. Uh, we decided to find another location that would allow her to be happy, which would make us happy. Yeah. And that's how we ended up in Costa Rica. She was familiar with Costa Rica. She's traveled here with us several times. Um, we, again, with intention, we wanted to make sure that there were uh, communities of color there, people that looked like her, looked like me, um, that, uh, that had surfing, skateboarding, and uh, yoga. So we ended up in Brazilito. Or a lot of people, the nearest big town is Tamarindo, if you want to know. And um, so when we got here, we came here for a week and we scoped out the schools. They had at least six international schools here, no. meaning that they had schools that catered to expats that were on an American school system. So when we found that they had that many schools, we were like, they're probably families there, which means that they're probably kids her age there. Yeah. So that's how we ended up here as a result of uh, looking for a place that would allow our daughter to be herself, um, to gain new friendships, to learn a new language, and feel comfortable. Because a happy child is a happy family. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I'm, kind of, <clears throat> I'm going to tie in this question about, like, identity then, because I'm listening to you, like, you know, like, you're finding a place for 
all three of you guys and not not just the adults you know normally oh well when we were younger adults take you where you go and then that's it you mm -hmm. deal with that trauma mm -hmm. later. <laughs> so like did you consciously actually like listen to your child's needs as well and found a place for all three of you and so mm -hmm. that made me think of like identity and i know that originally kind of had the question of like how do you define your identity but i'm now more thinking of like now in this new place for all three of you how do you feel it, how does it affect your identity how do you see yourself and how do you feel like oh this is this is what i would like to keep or this is what i want to establish as a new tradition or anything like that anything that you feel that is like this is from when i was younger and that's what i want to continue on here because also for mm -hmm. your daughter and your husband or where you're like actually i used to identify so much with this culture or this identity and i'm done with that we're starting completely anew right what are your thoughts on that um wow those those are really good questions and how do i identify myself i identify myself as um african-american I am of the African diaspora. I am descendant of slaves. I am um, descendant of enslaved individuals. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> I am descendant of strong individuals, both men and women, who have endured so much throughout time. Um, I am my, as they say these days, my ancestors' wildest dreams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and what I, I and we as parents have tried to instill in our mixed race daughter is that you are yourself. You are Sophia. That's who you. Whatever you want to be, that's who you are. How people define you is how you have to respond to them. And then I go into the definition of what race is to her and uh, to, to the world, I should say. Um, the identification of what we call black and white. And, uh, you know, and she goes, well, aren't there other colors in the rainbow? And I'm like, absolutely, there are. You know, that's when she was younger. And I said, they're all divided into of color or white. So, um, and she, you know, looking at us as parents, my, my mom is, uh, not my, my husband is, um, like I said, Irish American and she's just like, but you know, dad is white. He's, he's actually peach. That's how he describes them. And you're like chocolate. And I said, yes, this is true. Um, and the world will see you as black because your skin is brown. But black and brown are two different colors. I said, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, and then yeah, my, you know, I, and, and Norma, you know, it's like she's very inquisitive and uh, she comes from a very independent mindset. And so she has a lot of questions. And um, at the same time, she understands that the world is not all that it seems or as we want our children to believe it to be, meaning innocence and young. So to go back to this idea of identity, I I think I didn't think of it this way until you mentioned it, but I'm starting anew. I'm starting anew in a sense of I am 
beginning to realize um, that, yes, I am a person of color. I will always be. I woke up this way. I was born this way. I wake up every day like this. I go to sleep like this. I'm going to die like this. That's it. This is what you get. <laughs> and um, and I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, and at the same time, I'm going to just be me wherever I go. Yeah. Wherever I go. So how I speak, how I act, how I respond to you, this is Constina, 100%. And they'll say, oh, but you're not, but it's like, mm -hmm. and you're black, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. According to you, I'm black <laughs> with the CK. Um, but my, my name is Constina. <laughs> right. And this is who I am. Right. Yeah. Do you think that, that being in, especially in Costa Rica, I mean, Costa Rica comes with its own history, uh, its own yes, issues with it colorism, does. but it's also mm. a place that's, quite cosmopolitan um and mm -hmm. maybe there's some benefit to being in a place where race is not the yes there's a recognition of skin tone and differences and class and all of that is there like any mm -hmm. other Car caribbean or central american nation but the mm -hmm. that is not the um day-to-day focus on one's being, excuse me, that's not even said right. Sure. What I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, unlike when you're in the US, whether you turn on the news or not, um, whether you're in a, in, in a store, whether you're at a traffic light, the racialization mm. of everything, and I, I said this to somebody else uh, yesterday, um, the racialization of everything is so present that it, it just, mm clouds everything a little bit at least for me it's just always there um and being in a place like costa rica that's not the case not to say that there aren't issues with race but that's not the dominant um issue for discussion and that then kind of gives you a sense of freedom from that yeah is that your experience yeah. that i uh, yes it has been my experience. And I think that's why I can answer the question of how do you identify? And I'm like, I, I identify as me. And I will always identify as me. Um, however, I can do that more with, uh, with a clear mind, um, a lighter heart, um, a different type of cadence in life because race is not the predominant factor. It doesn't quote everything that I do. It doesn't quote everything that I see. And whew, when I visit the state, I feel it. It's heavy. It's very heavy. Insane. It's to the point where it's it's uh, it could be a sunny day, but you feel like there is this uh, dark cloud that's hovering over you wherever you go, and you just don't know when the storm is going to hit. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so so I agree with you completely in your description of what it's like to be in a country that doesn't uh, spotlight racism. And you're right; there there are things like I I spoke to a couple of local. I am speaking to a couple of local people that have uh, really expressed how P 
people of African descent have migrated to Costa Rica Mm -hmm. and how they have been sort of isolated and or disparaged in certain ways. And, but it's not as, um, again, it's not as heavy as it is in the state. It's almost as if, yes, there is a, there's a bit of like, oh, you're darker than me. Um, and there is a bit of colorism. Um, but there's also a bit of freedom because, and I have not been, and I'm going, we're going as a family to Le Mans, which is the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. Right now we're on the Pacific side. And, uh, I, I really want to travel there because there is a culture that is steeped in African descent, um, that has been able to thrive and survive and, and, and foster and grow. And, it's not as if it's an other. It's like, yeah, have you been to the Caribbean side? It's like, oh, are you going to Jamaica? Are you going to go to here? It's, it's so it's it's almost as if it's its own independent, but at at the same time equal um, place to be and uh, and how it feels. Um, but the you know I'm going to go back to what you said earlier when you were like, oh, I see you, and you know you seem so lighter. I, I think the light within me, speaking in yoga terms or, you know, metaphorical terms, the light within me is not weighed down with all of the heaviness that a lot of, um, that I feel and my family feels and my friends feel back in the state. Um, and that's what you see right now. It's like a cleansing, if you will. And I think many, many people probably have said that, uh, who have traveled outside of the state and have decided to live abroad. Yeah. But if I may, if I may, do you also think, though, having been raised in the U.S. by um, supportive parents uh, with a Howard University degree behind your belt and all that that means, um, establishing yourself as a woman, as a woman of color in corporate America, do you think, though, despite all that we've just said about um, leaving some things behind, uh, especially as it pertains to the issues of systemic oppression, racism in this nation. Do you think, despite that, there's something about being raised in America that allows you to walk differently, to have a sense of confidence? You can spot an American anywhere. An oh, yeah. American exudes a certain amount of confidence. And, and as a mm. person of color, perhaps because you've been through a lot of ish, so mm-hmm. you own a space, not in a, not in a, I'm not talking about the stereotype of the demanding, you know, gauche, ugly American stereotype, mm. not in that way, but just a, um, uh, a strong sense of self and independence. Do you think that you carry that with you wherever you go in the world? Absolutely. Um, I think by default, when you're born of color in the state, you're you're given in in a tiny form as an infant a small skin, invisible skin or barrier that thickens over time. And it's and each time there's an experience that you have in life, whether it's racism or you, whether it's directly or indirectly, or you see something on TV or you see something on social media or you see something, there is something in which you get uh, get in your feelings, get angry, you go through the cycles of depression and 
cycles of anger and the cycles of denial and then you go, you know, and then there's a point where you have acknowledgement of what is happening and then you begin to take action. And part of that action, I believe a lot of African Americans have this, is that I'm still going to walk my walk and I'm going to talk my talk. Because it's almost like what I said earlier, I, I, I recognize when I look in the mirror, I don't look in the mirror in as I was a child, don't get me wrong. I, I went through a bit of complete denial because everything I saw in TV was white. Mm-hmm. Everything. So and the things that I, I grew up with different strokes. I don't know if anybody remembers yeah, that show, yeah. right? Or, you know, or um, the Jeffersons or it was it was definitely either all black or if there was a black person in a show they were the other, and it, they were made as the the um, the topic of choice. Whether it's oh, they feel sad because they're discriminated against. It's like their 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 color or their experience is the spotlight for other people's um, viewership. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I that really. So even in watching that, I started to feel like oh, maybe I should have watched there. You know, or maybe I shouldn't. I would put the towel on my head and feel like I had this long hair. And oh, Lord, I must say, I look back at that and I say to myself, <laughs> so glad I came out of that right. with a sane mind right. because I can see how people can go crazy. You're yeah. like, oh, but this is what people are telling me is successful or what looks good. And then I look in the mirror and I'm not like that. So I want to change myself. Right. And that's why you get into the cosmetic surgery and mm-hmm. people bleaching and. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and don't get me wrong, when I was in corporate America, I went through that. So mm-hmm. the confidence that I have that you see right now or what you hear right now, and I'm still working through it. The confidence is a, a little bit of a facade, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you got to fake it until you make it, if you will. But, and I'm just being totally honest, right? But there was a part of me after I graduated from Howard, which also gave me a tremendous, tremendous foundation of self esteem and self-worth and understanding who that is um there was still a part of me where i was like okay now that i'm graduated from howard i need to go into this you know world where i'm the other and you know i'm mimicking what i saw on tv when i was younger mm-hmm. or i'm mimicking what I, other people are expecting of me and i embodied that and i thought that was success you know i straightened my hair i was trying to make it sort of blondish brown sometimes and I was just, I was really in what do they call the sunken place probably <laughs> like I was going down there like Alice in Wonderland and I really thought that I was okay yeah. but I realized I was having these anxiety attacks and like it, there was like a part of me that was trying to come out and show itself and present itself to the world and it wasn't until I I was pregnant with my daughter I think she is probably the uh the catalyst in terms of me waking up, if you will, mm. and not denying my true self. I cut off my hair. I went and I did the big chop. I decided to go natural. Mm. I was really insecure about that. But then I realized I was like, but this is me. Gorgeous. You know? um, and then uh, once I, I had a very difficult pregnancy, I was on bed rest for 22 weeks. And um, by the grace of God, I was able to get through that. But as a result, I wasn't able to work. Um, and, uh, cause I wasn't able to move. And, um, uh, yeah, that was a tough time. But then once I, I had a lot of time to think about myself and what mattered to mm. me during those weeks that I was on bed rest. And what mattered to me was this 
baby in my mm-hmm. that I was that was, was fostering in my belly, and um, and what it means to actually uh, raise a child. You know, I want to raise a child how my mother raised me. She's a single mom for a long period of time with three kids. Or do I want to not only raise raise my child like her, or and and build on that and do something more? Yeah, and um, and I did. I said, I am going to learn how to breathe. I am not going to force her to, like, um, perm her hair at, like, five or six years old. I'm not going to have her do that. I'm going to have her embrace it and love it. I want her to embrace her skin tone, whatever skin tone she comes out to be. Um, I just want her to be herself and really love herself for that. Um, I don't know how I got onto this topic, but I, no, I, no, no. I missed the original question, but... Um, but as, as time went on, oh, I know what I was saying, uh, me immersing myself in understanding how I would like to raise a person of color in this world allowed me to understand who I was mm-hmm. because I needed to really dig down deep and shed all the layers of things that I had built or, you know, that I thought was successful and say, no, success starts with them. Mm-hmm. So I started working on myself then. And that's how I got into yoga and meditation and things of that nature because that sort of, uh, not only my daughter, but also the practice has allowed me to lift the expectations of others out of my life and really just demand uh, I dig deep in understanding who I am. So when I walk, I walk based upon the things that I've learned from my childhood, um, the things that I experienced while I was working, albeit I probably was in a sunken place but didn't realize it. The things that I experienced as getting, you know, becoming pregnant and being on bed rest and going through that. Um, the experience of going through um, trauma, you know, over and over again. And like, from Michael Brown all the way up, you know, I, there's a part of me that not only did the country wake up, but I woke up when Michael Brown was shot and I was just like, wait a minute. There is no turning back from that. Yeah. There is no turning back from uh, turning away from it, uh, closing my eyes, my heart, my mind to it, um, shielding myself as if it, it doesn't pertain to me. All that stuff played a part in me walking and talking and being who I am today. And I'm still not. I'm still not at the. I'm still not enlightened, if you will. I'm still not there. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, but that kind of confidence that I I am as a as as an African American in another country is because of the things that I went through. I was still gonna tie in something that because uh, because of what Tracy said, and I'm gonna ask you if you have that experience. I now in the eyes of my people back home, they see me as American, right? And so when I visit, mm-hmm. they'll have like this reaction to me of like basically being able to live in America, and so. I wanted to say to you, like, now that you're there in Costa Rica, do you feel like you're kind of a, I don't know if I'm using the word beacon in the right place, but at least that people are looking at you and saying, like, you're American and you've, you, you know, like, there's a, like, they want to learn from you. They want to get, like, in from, like, I don't want to maybe even flock to you, but how is that experience? Because I've noticed that even though I don't consider myself American just yet, but when I go home and I've been here for so long, they do, and they seem to be uh, pulled towards it. So is that something that is happening now that you're in Costa Rica and 
And if so, is it a positive or a negative effect? Um, I'm hoping I'm going to answer your question, um, and and it's not steer me in the right direction. I there are two groups of people. Mm-hmm. There are people that will see me as abandoning the cause or running away. Mm. Interesting. Um, and that, that in a sense speaks a lot about the person themselves. Mm-hmm. Sure um, <laughs> but I would say, um, probably 90 plus percent of people are in awe and the awe is not, I'm doing something different. People have been doing this for years. I just found out like, and, and I had, I don't know the name of the person, but did you know <laughs> that there was an African king who traveled to America way before Christopher Columbus. Way before. And I mean way before. Like during the time of the Vikings kind of thing. It wasn't, maybe not as far back as that, maybe like in the 1500s, 1600s. Somebody who's listening to this is going to know exactly who I'm talking about. And um, But at the same time, uh, there has been people of African descent traveling for since the beginning of time. And it's only because within, I, this is my own personal opinion. I feel as if it's only because of how we have, were born into what we were born into mm-hmm. that we've isolated ourselves. So there are a group of people who are in awe because they're like, that's possible. I didn't know we could do that. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. Well, do share. How did how did you shed all those baggage? You know, things that you had in your home. How did you get rid of that? Where did you store your stuff? I mean, I had one person stop me on the street, and I told them what we were doing. My husband was with us, um, and my daughter was with us, and they were just like, "So, what did you do with your car? What did you do with your apartment? What did you do with this? What did you do with? How did you shed all of the things that you procured in your life to today, so that you can pick up and go someplace else?" And my only thing is that um, for individuals who are questioning this and, and, and seeking answers of how to do it, just begin to shed things in your life today that are holding you back. That's part one. Things that people, places, things that seem to hold you down and settle you, that seems to be grounding to you at the moment. But there's so much of a world out there that's waiting for you. And I didn't realize that. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that, uh, and when we were visiting Costa Rica in 2019, we stayed for 30 days. That was a another way of my husband chipping that there. He was like, <laughs> "Let's let's uh, let's pretend like we're living here for 30 days." I'm like, "Okay, let's do that, right?" Um, and by the way, it's called subletting your place. That's how you do it. So, right, right, right. <laughs> um, in order to supplement your, your hobby of traveling. So, uh, it, we did that. And on the second to last day of our being in Costa Rica, we were walking on the beach and there was this African American woman who was walking behind me. And I can tell her son was intrigued with me. So he started walking close, like right next to me. He must have been about seven, eight. And he goes, hi. And I'm like, you know, because if you're 
if you're brown and you're in another country yeah. and you're, especially when you're a darker skinned hue, people are like, Hey, how you doing? Right. right. <laughs> I don't care what country you are. Right. And he saddled up next to me and his, and his mother came over and was like, I've been watching you for the last 10 minutes and I just wanted to know, are you living here? And I'm like, why are you living here? And she said, yes, I am. And I was like, please tell me, how did you do it? So mm. I had those same questions. I didn't realize it was possible. Mm. And she shared with me her secret. And her secret was just do it. Make the decision. Mm-hmm. Shed all the stuff that you have. Make it fit into the bags that you can carry that you won't get overcharged for or ship it to where you're going. Mm-hmm. And do it. Mm. And if it doesn't work out, this is the deal, right? The, the thing is, the secret is, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. It's okay. Right. Yeah. To take the risk, do it. We, yeah. we feel like... You know, I, I grew up in a household where um, I was born in North New Jersey. I'm not going to lie to you. I was born in the heart of, like, the serious, serious streets, right? And my mom made a way out of no way. But the way of doing that is protecting us and isolating us and living within the block or two of where we are, mm-hmm. you know? Make sure you go out, but don't go past these lights. Don't go past the street. You come back before dark. Those lights come on. You're going to get there ass feet when you get here. Now, you know, make sure you get back here. So that, it's like, it's okay. You know, that's, that's the way. But it, it sort of um, defined a box mm-hmm. in which I lived in. And I was always looking out, looking at the horizon of, you know, the city skylights of New York City going, oh, what does that look like? So I always had aspirations of going places, but I always felt like I couldn't go anywhere. Mm. So when people ask me when I go home, they're like, how is this possible? I'm like, one, find people who have done it mm-hmm. and just make a way because it is possible. Right. So I don't know if I answered your question. but uh, Yeah, most of it. And like I'm, I'm in my head, I'm just thinking also like, what about locals in Costa Rica right now? Do you feel that you, because you're American, have a different effect on them? Or are they just embracing you and they're seeing you as one of um, one of them now? You know, you know, it's interesting. I was told when I got here by some other expats um, that Costa Ricans are a very proud, loving, family-oriented group. Oh, nice. And that's only fair. Um, they, one could say that they isolate themselves from any foreigner, mm. but I don't think they're isolated. I think they just, they know people and the people that they know and trust, they include in their community. And everybody else they engage with politely. Uh, there's no rudeness whatsoever. Everybody's really sweet. Everybody's really kind, but they're very close knit. And if you are invited to their home, it is an honor. Mm-hmm. Like you're just, whew. They're like, oh, would you like something to eat? They're like, oh, thank you so much. Like, they would never do that. They real, you have to build their trust, right? Um, so do they see me as an American and do they expect me as such? I think so, but it's almost as if, um, and I've seen this happen within the African-American community. You have people that come from the outside in, and if you're only going to stay for six months, I ain't going to invest my time with you. Mm. But if I see you, more than once, and you start investing your time in my community and embracing my culture and learning my language and my dialect, then yes, I will, you might get an invite, not mm-hmm. just to the cookout, but yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. to their yeah. version yeah. of the cookout. Yeah. Let me ask you, Costina, what are, what are maybe one or two things that you love about um, Costa Rican culture? Um, 
Um, that they're family oriented, that they stick together. Um, I love their authenticity on their food. Um, Mm. how they express themselves through their food. Mm. Um, can you give me how they, oh gosh, there is, we have been, first of all, I have been playing with yuca. I know yuca is a common thing in most mm-hmm. other countries, but mm-hmm. I have, that's one vegetable that, or root that I have been intimidated by for the rest of life. You look at it and you're like, what the hell is this? It's like a tree trunk. But I, one um, young lady showed me how to peel it. She showed me how to like, you know, um, boil it and just really take out the veins that are not as good. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't notice. So that was one. The other is there's a couple of um, vegetables and I, I don't have the name off the top of my head, uh, but I think it's called baiete. Uh It's like a tiny little fruit that my husband has started boiling and it's almost like a sweet, a sweet potato in a pear had a baby. I think I, I don't know, know. You, which one you mean, but I only know it in Suriname. It's called nappy. But I don't know what it's called in America. <laughs> it's about, it's almost like a, it looks like the shape of a walnut, not a walnut, um, of an acorn, but it's taller, it's bigger, and it's sort of oval at the bottom, and it has a little flap up top. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is one of the things. Um, Maracuya, the fruit. Can I tell you the fruit down here, Central America? I, woo. You never, you don't taste the pineapple until you taste the fruit down here. It is unbelievable. And I'm sure other, um, Caribbean islands feel the same way, but it's, uh, absolutely fantastic. But the culture here, the music. Yeah. This, yeah. Do you regret- And my daughter is, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, do you regret waiting so long or was the timing as it should be? Um, no, I don't regret it. Okay. The only reason why is because I, I realized that if I, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much mm. if I came down here before him. Okay. Yeah. And what were you going to say about your daughter? About the culture? Um, our daughter is going to a school that is specifically half expat and half Tico, those are the locals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's by design because many many international schools will just try to procure only expats and yeah. particularly only European expats. And that's mm. not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taught, the, the curriculum is half English, half Spanish. They don't separate the kids out of the classroom when Spanish comes and, or English happens. It's like they all are, you get a buddy and you learn from them if you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So she's being immersed in the culture She's learning the, the national anthem. She's learning how to dress. She's learning how to cook. So I I feel as if she should be here answering some of the cultural questions. Me, I'm you know how you get old and you're like I will inch my way into it. Like she just dove it. Like, it's crazy. What's the hardest thing about being a woman in, of color in Central America? Being a woman of color, particularly a woman of a darker hue, for some reason we're exoticized. Mm. everywhere we go and what was that and you're curvy so that's extra in my head (laughs) you're curvy 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's this, uh, and and I love my curves. You know, I had to embrace those too as I got a little older, right? And um, uh, not had to. It was almost as if my body was saying, you know, it, I am what I am. Mm-hmm. So just embrace it. You know, your your, your ass is not sorry. I'm not sure I was about to say that. <laughs> you got a trunk, work with it, right? You got some boobs, work with it. And I, you know. Um, so as a result of being a curvy, dark-skinned woman, there there is a certain look that I get. Um, and I feel that uh, it's subtle here in Costa Rica because, again, they're not rude. You know, it's not like catcalling. You won't get that, which they're very polite. It's, it's quite, it's cute when that, compared to what I get in the States. <laughs> um, and it's much appreciated, but I still feel it, you know. Um, from the expats, they bring their ways down here. Mm. You know, I had one guy, uh, was walking to pick up my daughter from, uh, up the road from us. And I say up the road, literally, um, just walking. And I said, hi, you know, hola. And he goes, hola. <laughs> I was like, I know that hola thing. And dude, I just turned around. I was like. Not here. That's exactly what I told him. You know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm like, not here. Not now. Not ever. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I was saying about and he the Yeah, it comes Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I, and I think he realized it, but I still felt his eyes and it was just super creepy. Mm. On, the, on the other hand, I feel as if um, there is a certain weight that's on one shoulder that I try not to hold. Um, again, I, I always try to embody, I am me, I'm always going to be me, I do not represent. Um, I do represent, but I'm not going to answer all your questions about blackness in the world, you know, that's not my job. Um, I'll give you a case in point, and this is dealing with uh, somebody from Florida that I met here. And just for the first time, I had, I had, to, say the, I had to say the state because yeah. it's relevant. <laughs> Caucasian woman, and um, uh, let's just say, what after my husband and I met met her uh, and her husband, we both looked at each other, and I said, "Listen, X, I'm going to call her X." I was like, "I have a strong side eye for her." He goes, mm. "He goes, me too," and I was like, "And that just basically means, and I, I probably don't need to explain to you, but I'm weary." Yeah. of this person's motive and yeah. their perspective. Yeah. Because case in point, met her, exchanged names, and the first thing she said was, hey, wow, you know, I grew up in Florida and, you know, I, I grew and I grew up around a lot of different cultures and, and people and I don't understand why they, you know, these black kids threw me in a locker. Oh, Okay. All right. Been, car- been carrying that for been carrying that for thirty years. Let me years. find them for you and ask them because I know them personally. Right. <laughs> what? And she literally looked at me. This is after like maybe five minutes of meeting each other. She was just like, "Why did that happen?" And I'm oh, thinking whoa. to myself, "I'm like, I looked, I looked behind me, like, oh, who, who, who are you talking to me?" Wow. I thought you were going to say that she was going to ask, how did you get here? You're living here. More curiosity yeah, more about... That, um, yeah, but wow. How can you afford this yeah. uh, feeling? Not, yeah. uh, can you explain to me... Something that happened a reaction years ago. To, Yeah. 
if she showed her true colors. But I was like, I just wanted you to be aware of this. Yeah. yeah. Because at this point in time, I don't think my daughter is going to be able to play with your daughter if this these uh, shenanigans begin to play out. Yeah. So I was testing her to see how she was going to respond, and she completely denied the whole thing. And I just told Sophia, I was like, if you want to play with a little girl, it has to be supervised. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be yeah. supervised. It has to be at my place, yeah. maybe even. Yeah, or at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or don't do it at all. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Weed them out. <laughs> so this is from an expat community member? Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, then interesting, right? Because then that can bring us back to the beginning. So, as we've said, Costa Rica agrees with you. There's a lightness and a light inside of you that is shining also brightly. But from time to time... When you mm-hmm. encounter our brothers and sisters <laughs> from this mm-hmm. side of the ocean, mm-hmm. there are times when you still have to deal with this constant, pernicious mm-hmm. question of race mm-hmm. and racism. But because it's not a 24-7 yeah. issue, it, it, it's manageable and you can move on. Um, yes, you, you learn tools and techniques to not let it settle into your bloodstream. Yeah. Like literally, I, there's a part of me, um, and I don't know how many other people who are listening will feel this way, that you come to a point where you say, I am not put on this earth to educate people. I am not here to foster or even embody your idiotic way of thinking. That's, that's you. So I'm just going to leave it there. So when I say I have a strong side eye, my side eye is usually from the other side of the room. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't even want to deal with it. Right. But I, I can do that here. I can do that here in this type of space because it's not 24-7. Yeah. Back in the States, and what, what I have done is I kept my ear and to the pulse of what's happening in the States. It's not like I'm not... Uh, it's one of the reasons I know normally talk about this social media. Social media is my, my gateway and back into what's going on in the state. There are people who are on the front lines who are educating people and informing people. And that's how I keep um, on top of things. And, and, um, and I read and different periodicals out there. Um, So I, I do still carry it with me and uh, the, the trauma and that's exactly what it is every time I see a shooting or see an incident that happens and I'm just like, but I see it from, from this side of the planet. And like you said, it it lands differently because it's not 24 seven, um, which in a way is good. But part of me also feels in uh, a bit of shame for not being there. Mm. Or feel disappointed that I'm not physically there, mm. and being able to provide um, some type of support or help with people who are still back in the states. Mm. Um, I do feel that in me. That's me. But I, I need to figure that out. I need to figure out how I can give from where I'm at um, the best way that I can, so that not not to make me myself feel better, but I really want to provide some type of guidance and. Um, Give support. It a yeah. 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 And that, that might be through the yoga practice that I, that, mm. um, I'm starting. Um, because there is something to be said about, uh, the trauma that we live with 
on a day-to-day basis, whether I'm experiencing it here or abroad or back in, in Brooklyn, um, it is in my DNA. It is in my bloodstream. And when somebody is feeling injustice, I feel injustice. Mm-hmm. And I'm compelled to, in my heart, to me, to provide some type of space in order to help um, people navigate these uh, traumatic experiences on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I would like you to close out on um, your um, yoga business because I actually didn't realize that it was available via Zoom. I thought that you were just, you know, practicing over there. So last week when I learned that I can actually jump in via Zoom, that really, like, it really lightened, like, it made my day, honestly. I, I, and I was, I'm looking forward to it because even the clip that you had sent me, it was, it made me want to be like with you, even though it's like virtually, right? And so I think mm-hmm. listening to you saying about finding a way to give back and, and how yoga is a part of it, I would like you to share that you do it via Zoom and or how people can reach you because that might mm-hmm. be the way. I, I felt like it was, it's, it was a perfect time in the day too for me to then do that and go about my day. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think more people in a, in a city or in the U.S. might actually like the fact that you are still check, you know, connecting with us from over. Offering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, Authentic Flow was started. Um, I've, I've been practicing yoga for over twenty years. Yeah, just as an individual, um, and I got into it because I have and continue to experience trauma, mm-hmm. and I needed to find a way to. Uh, cope with it. And therapy is one. Um, and I've, I have done that, uh, talk therapy. I've also done, um, you know, my own way of, <laughs> let's put it this way. I, I love that, uh, Cranes in the Sky by Salon. Mm. I tried to drink it away. Yeah. I, tried yes. to, I tried to shop it away. I tried all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Um, but yoga, uh, and the practice of yoga just reminds me about the breath. It reminds me that my breath is aligned with my movement, that the breath actually expands my heart and my lungs, um, and that gives me space in order to be me. Um, The What I I decided to go to yoga teacher training about uh, the beginning of the pandemic, actually, January of uh, 2020, and um, from there, I said I would like to teach this. Mm -hmm. I'd like to share this. I share what I know, and um, as a result, what we've uh, what I've what I've done is offered online classes on Thursdays, particularly at nine a.m. Eastern time. It is uh, supposed to be sixty minutes, but seventy-five minutes if you really, really want to go into a meditative state. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to do uh, a reading, some breath work. Um, slow movement, but the movements are really just to align the breath with the movement, with your body. Mm-hmm. And then from there, being able to um, create a space just for you to honor who you are. Mm-hmm. And authentically, that's what I call the physical, to honor who you are authentically. Um, and to leave all the other stuff in the world out exactly where it is in the world. Somebody used an analogy with me that's called the eye of the storm. 
you know, when you're, there's hurricanes that are going on. When you're right in the middle, there's so much quietness, there's so much stillness. And right around you, literally, things are being tossed. And that's the way I feel sometimes when I'm in a safer in certain situations. Like there's just a tornado that's around me just whipping and whipping and whipping. But there's something about being in the center, the eye of the storm. And as long as your breath is there and as long as you're, you quiet your mind as much as possible and your breath is aligned with your movement, even as small as it may be, it will expand your world. And it's only that type of nourishment, I feel, will allow us to function within the world beyond just you. Right. It's the only way. If you nourish yourself that way, you can actually nourish other people. Right. We're constantly giving, constantly giving to others over and over again. Right. Take the time. So 9 a.m. on uh, via Zoom, you can send me an email at authenticflowbk, all one word. Um, at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram under the same uh, title, but it's actually authentic underscore flow BK. And uh, those are the two ways to reach me. And uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, Constina, it was uh, an amazing almost two hours with you. Uh, today and you have shared a lot of um, wisdom I think that your story is totally uh, certainly inspirational yes and I think at the base level people will I think that people will be inspired to begin thinking about the possibility of traveling even if not necessarily to relocate, but at least to have the courage to move beyond the familiar, to take a risk and not just go to the same five hotspots that everybody visits, but to travel to (laughs) other destinations um, and to kind of just seek out new experiences. I, I, I do believe that, or I am hoping that that will come from this um, interview. We thank you for your time. We thank you so much for sharing thank today. You. And um, for any of the listeners, again, you can contact Constina uh, through her uh, using her business social handle. Yeah. On Instagram. Mm-hmm. On Instagram. Can you say it one Instagram. more time? One more time. Sure. It's, uh, on Instagram, it's authentic underscore flow BK. I had to put the booklet in there. Yeah. And then the the email address is actually authenticflowbk, all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, Perfect. great. Thank you so much for being here. I feel so centered. Like, I feel very, <laughs> yeah, I feel very, very calm. calm. <laughs> very it calm. came all the way through. And so thank you for being here. And then um, for for everybody that's um, listening to the podcast, same for us. You can follow us on Instagram, Black Girls with Accents. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Have a good one.